I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to The Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. Dr. David Gross is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, Florida. David, thank you for joining us this evening. My pleasure. We are often met with so many questions, with so many misleading or confusing notions about marijuana. People don't really know what to believe about it, and I would like to hear from you a little bit where we should even begin to start to understand it as a drug, as a problem, and so on. Where would be a good place to start? I think the best place would be to identify three, in my mind, three critical problem areas. One is the whole concept of marijuana as medicine. The second is the marijuana as a safe recreational drug. And the third is the legalization slash harm reduction movement. Okay, let, let's start with the, medic, the uh, marijuana as a medication. People are often wondering what that's all about, obviously, and we hear that in some states there is a notion of medical marijuana. That's correct. Um, and th- there's been a lot of spin and a lot of false notions about it. Marijuana, as you know, is a plant. The combustion of that plant uh, releases uh, at least 250 toxins in addition to a variety of cannabinoids. And it's the cannabinoids that are the active components of marijuana. Many of them are psychoactive. turns out that the brain has its own natural cannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors. And I believe at the last count, there are at least 84 different cannabinoids. The cannabinoids themselves will probably turn out to be very helpful psychoactive compounds. And many companies, both in the U.S. and uh, in Great Britain, and probably other countries in Europe, or companies in Europe, are in the process of of developing medications from the cannabinoids themselves. In the U.S., these medications will have to go through the FDA like any other medication. Medications for what purpose? Cannabinoids can have anti-anxiety properties. They can have anti-nausea properties. And so they'll be developed for a variety of purposes, uh, similar to how Marinol, which is the one cannabinoid-like agent that has been developed in the U.S. so far, developed many years ago. And it's used for people with nauseousness, if they have cancer or some other illness? Yeah, individuals who have wasting diseases with uh, weight loss and nausea. Because there are a whole variety of cannabinoids, it's somewhat similar to you know, looking at all the different serotonin receptors and trying to come up with agents that work more effectively on specific serotonin receptors. Uh, so I think there's great promise for cannabinoids. The difficulty is that uh, the combustion of the marijuana plant and its, its inhalation or its, its consumption by mouth leads to a fallacy about its effectiveness as medication. There have not been good scientific studies supporting marijuana as a medication. In fact, the Institute of Medicine, in their last full full report, indicated further research is necessary, but there was no support whatsoever for marijuana as a medication. Marijuana in the plant form. In the plant form. And that's where the difficulty is. Everybody talks about marijuana, but what they really should talk about the cannabinoids because that's where it's at. It's like saying, you know, I'm, I'm taking foxglove for my congestive heart failure. Right. You know, it's, it's digitalis that I'm taking. It's a, it's a byproduct of the plant that's active. And along with the, the marijuana plant, when it's combusted, come all these toxins, as well as rapid onset of high levels of various cannabinoids in the brain that lead to the intoxicated state and, and create difficulties and the difficulties are significant. It's going to turn out probably that there are as many car accidents from 
driving under the influence of marijuana as there are in, from alcohol. The difficulty is, you know, there's no spot test for marijuana, and the intoxicating effects of marijuana are not as apparent as the, the intoxicating effects of, of alcohol. So, you know, a police officer at the scene in a car accident can easily tell if somebody is intoxicated from an alcoholic beverage, but would have a harder time telling if they're intoxicated from, from marijuana. Is there an intoxication issue with the medical version of the cannabinoids? Generally not, but that's a very good question, and I think uh, that has to be resolved. A lot depends upon the administration route. I know that one of the companies in England that, uh, that I have uh, been in communication with uh, that has passed us uh, phase two trials, I believe, um, are developing uh, a patch, and one of the companies is developing a, a nasal insufflation route of administration. But certainly, you know, if, if there's intoxication, that would have to be taken into account by the FDA. You know, certainly you take uh, benzodiazepines or you take opiates for pain, there's a, a, a CNS effect that we could call intoxication uh, similar. I think one of the problems people might have as they're listening to this is the confusing notion of whether this is an addicting drug or not. You hear both sides. Well, it, when there's been good scientific research and attention to it, uh, it's clear that there is dependence and there is withdrawal, especially in the 80s, 90s, and now the 21st century. The potency of the marijuana plants that have been developed, because there's been lots of genetic uh, uh, development of the marijuana plant is much, much higher than uh, the marijuana that baby boomers may have been exposed to in the 60s and maybe early, early to mid-70s. So we've got a very, very powerful plant that is leading to extraordinarily higher levels of cannabinoids in the brain, and there is significant dependence and there is significant withdrawal. It's just a different type of withdrawal than we're used to from alcohol or opiates, for example, or even from, from cocaine. What type of withdrawal symptoms might some There's some suspect? irritability. There's general sense of unease. There can be some shakiness and agitation, and, and that general sense of not feeling well. There also is, and, and I think this is a dangerous presumption, that it's a safe drug. Uh, kids use it. It's widely used. And how would a parent or another adult be able to detect if uh, marijuana was becoming a problem? Well, I, I just gave a lecture to a local high school on that uh, to the parents um, and, and told the parents that, in many respects, we're the culprits because most of us baby boomers to this day may still view marijuana as a safe drug. So how can we expect our, our kids to understand the dangers if, if our attitudes uh, are problematic? But it, it, it's not. And if you provide some of the data, for example, there were, were very interesting studies done, I believe it was in Sweden, in airline pilots, where the, the pilots thought that if they consumed marijuana on like a Friday and had to fly on a Saturday, they'd have no problem. And, and they took these pilots into uh, simulators um, and allowed them to consume marijuana on a Friday and put them in a simulator on a Saturday and had them do the usual thing and then deal with uh, simulated emergencies. So pilots thought that they did quite well. But when they saw their performances, they were astounded at how poorly they did. And that's dangerous, obviously. And, and so there's lots of impact upon eye-hand coordination, judgment, a sense of timing, 
for marijuana. And one of the other very disturbing things about marijuana is there's been clear-cut research that demonstrates that it interferes with the acquisition of new learning. So if someone is smoking, they, they think they learn something, but it really doesn't stay with them? It may not stay with them, or it may be state-dependent learning, which means that if they were in when they were learning, meaning a state under the influence of marijuana, has to be the state that they're in when they try to bring the inf- back to utilize. That's very interesting. That's, that's very interesting. Why do you think so many people use marijuana? Is is And I'm, what I'm really getting to is the old notion of a gateway drug, that this is the beginning of, of years and years of substance abuse. What What's the attraction? I, I, you know, I, I think it's mainly because it's still believed to be safe, and and the uh, the high is not a high like a bad trip on LSD. You know, there's been plenty of of information around about the addictive quality of opiates going back decades. So, you know, the, I think the public recognizes that that's really dangerous and addicting. As you recall, cocaine was not viewed as being a dangerous addictive drug until the mid to late 80s. In fact, I would believe the American Psychiatric Association viewed it as a recreational drug in the early 80s until more data was acquired to, to label it as clearly addicting and, and dangerous. I think the other piece of it is that there's been a tremendous amount of money spent by individuals in the legalization movement. I'm talking about tens of millions of dollars, especially at the state referendum when they've had states uh, try to support the medical use of marijuana. Like in California. Or the legalization of drugs. My belief is the motivation behind this legalization movement um, is is not altruistic and, is, if anything, is profit motive oriented. So they, they've spent a lot of money with, with commercials and uh, getting individuals to... Uh, to hearings when they had them. You know, for example, I heard of one hearing they had in another state where a, a multiple sclerosis victim came in in a wheelchair to testify how critical marijuana was for their well-being. Uh, when they left the, 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 the courtroom where the testimony was, was presented, they got out of the wheelchair and walked away. So that, that the legalization movement uh, is more than just pursuing medical marijuana. It's pursuing the legalization of marijuana and all drugs, which is very frightening. And it's very different than, as you said at the beginning, it's very different than studying the cannabinoid positive or potentially positive effects. Well, you know, we, we, we would not tell a, a, a congestive heart failure victim to smoke a foxglove plant. You know, our modern medicine is oriented towards uh, identifying the active agent and putting the active agent through uh, carefully designed double-blind placebo trials uh, to get the approval of the FDA or to get the approval of European or British registries before it can come onto the market safely. Where do you think the general members of our of our community are insofar as the legalization issues? Do you think most people see the dangers that you are reporting or that they're much more... Mm, well, I, I, can, I can tell you that one of the problems with, with physicians in general is, I, I, you know, attitudes aren't always based upon logic and reason. True. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure to this day there are plenty of physicians who may smoke marijuana recreationally and not see any harm in it. And that's, a, that's denial and rationalization. I'm not suggesting that these physicians are, are addicted to it in a classic sense, but just that use of it itself and that attitude propagates the safe notion about marijuana. You know, the toxic effect of marijuana is significant. The carcinogens in in the in in the in the uh, use of one marijuana joint 
is equivalent to at least the carcinogens in five cigarettes. I think people forget that they are smoking it, and it really does align itself with cigarette smoking in many ways. And there's also evidence of, a, of an immune-suppressant effect of, of marijuana. So when marijuana is consumed within the drug-abusing population who are into opiates or cocaine or others, you know, this concern about immune system depression from other drugs, especially intravenous drugs, you add to that marijuana and you've got a messy picture, and then you add to that HIV or hepatitis C, and you've got a, a very scary uh, picture. You began this evening talking about three different areas in which there were problems. We started off by the uh, exploration of the medical marijuana movement. What are the other areas? Well, the other I already touched on to some degree is the legalization yes. movement. In the 1960s, you may remember the organization called Normal, N-O-R-M-L. I think it's still around. It is still around. And it, when the U.S. administration began to take a just-say-no the drugs a dangerous approach with basically Nancy Reagan saying adults know better and we need to take a stand and the parents move and cut very active. The normal movement went underground and resurfaced in, in Europe. When uh, administrations changed and the attitudes about the dangers of drugs changed, the normal movement resurfaced in the U.S. and now is very much out actively involved with medical marijuana and the legalization movement as well as actively supporting the, the third part of my discussion, which is harm reduction. And harm reduction, in, in many respects, is the scariest part of it because it's a, a very clever public relations attempt to get what I believe is a devious end result because the concept of harm reduction, which is, you know, reduce the harm from drug abuse, is a logical, reasonable concept. I mean, who, who from parents to physicians, the educators would be opposed to the concept of reducing harm. But the harm reduction that's getting propagated um, is based upon the following notion. First is that if our, if our children are going to abuse drugs no matter what we do, then let us teach them how to decrease the harm from the drug abuse, which is absolutely absurd. And I've actually seen comic books that had been put together by the harm reduction movement for the U.S. and Europe that instruct kids on how to smoke crack cocaine safely. You know, that if, if you've got a cut on your lip, stop the crack cocaine for a period of time. There have been kits for the safe use of crack cocaine that include uh, condoms. I mean, it's, 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 it's absolutely frightening. It's, it's someone like saying, you know, my kid's going to learn how to drive a car, and at some point we'll probably have a car accident, so let's have them crash into a wall with their car to see what it's like so they can learn how to minimize the danger to themselves. It seems like such rationalization. Well, it's tremendous rationalization, but it's supported by the legalization movement, the desire to... I mean, what, it, what harm reduction has done in Great Britain and Europe was tried in Sweden in the late 70s, early 80s. And in fact, the Swedish government went in the direction of liberalizing their drug laws. The point that they became uh, an Amsterdam-like experience for drug use. To the Swedes' credit, they recognized the error in that thinking and turned it around 180 degrees. In fact, in September, uh, Stockholm is going to put on a world forum against drug abuse uh, because the United Nations uh, conventions on their stand on drug abuse is coming up for evaluation in 2009. Where would be a good, reliable, safe, accurate, 
place for someone to go to learn about marijuana? Not just through drug abuse. They have a wonderful website, but I've looked at their research very carefully. Nora Volko is the uh, V-O-L-K-O-W, is psychiatrist who is now the director of NIDA, brilliant, brilliant researcher and clinician. And they have tremendous helpful evidence-based information on that website. So a parent could go there if they suspect that a child is using marijuana? or Not only can a parent go there, but uh, there are a number of very helpful uh, monographs and, and, and written tools and pamphlets that you can get for free from NIDA. You just get on their website and uh, identify what you're looking for. Physicians can get pamphlets for their offices on uh, marijuana use, other drug abuse, party drug use, designer drugs, etc. So that's a good resource. But let me ask you, how successful is the uh, the treatment for marijuana use, the pe- getting people to stop? It's, it's, it's problematic in that the, to get a teenager to get help, you have to first deal with the attitudes about it's not dangerous, you know, don't bother me, leave me alone, etc. So it requires that parents take a very firm black and white stance. It's also very difficult at times to tell if, if, if your child is using marijuana. So the only way to, to truly be able to evaluate that is to get uh, uh, urine drug screen testing for the home where parents can actually test their children. One of the things that has always struck me in my years of seeing people who have been troubled with, with drug use is that we have to find something else in their life that gives them a passion, that gives them a sense of feeling good about themselves. Uh, absolutely. But the other problem with treating marijuana dependence is, as you know, it's it's terribly lipophilic. And so even if you stop on a Monday, it's going to continue to be released from fat cells over a period of time. So it's going to ma- maintain some steady state, although declining, uh, of of uh, cannabinoids in the bloodstream. So it, it accumulates in the, in the body then? It's stored in the fat? It's stored, stored in the fat. And as, as you know, we all have very fatty brains. And so it's, it gets released from fat cells uh, very slowly in the brain. So there is still some effect of marijuana for a period of time. But what I can tell you is that almost universally, when, when I've seen a teenager or a young adult be able to stop marijuana use a month later or two months later, they will tell me that they're much sharper, that they see the world clearer, that their senses are, are sharper, their cognitive skills have improved, uh, and it's only then that they realize the impact marijuana had on them. They can't tell when they're in the midst of having a, a, a steady state uh, blood level. It's only once they're off of it that they can, they can tell. But the other problem with teenagers and, and young adults is peer pressure. You know, so you get off of the marijuana, but yet you're surrounded by peers who may be using, who are pressuring you, if you want to party with them, to, to share in the marijuana. It's a very interesting and important problem that we have to face in our society. Dr. David Gross is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, Florida. And Dr. Gross, we thank you so much for joining us. And we hope that people will go to the National Institute of Drug Abuse websites for information. Dr. Gross, thank you so much. Thanks, Abby. Bye-bye.